If you'll turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, actually chapter 6. We're finally in the last chapter of Ephesians. Hopefully this week, uh, hopefully this past week, your marriages went exceedingly well. Hopefully you were able to apply the things we talked about. And uh, we didn't do any marriage counseling this week, so things must be just going great, right? Everything going well? Our uh, married folks know what to do and our, our single folks know what to look for, right? Right? You guys are a little more awake than you were last week. I appreciate that. Let me go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for your word that... That always rings true. Thank you that regardless of how much study the secular world does, uh, whenever truth is found, it is found in your word. And whenever truth is stumbled upon by the world, it always reflects truths that you told us long ago. And so, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you didn't leave us alone, but that you left us with your spirit. And, Lord, I pray that he would fill this place today. Lord, I pray that as we continue to look at relationships within the family, that because of all the great things that you've done for us, that we would be, uh, we would be more than willing to apply these truths to our lives so that our families could reflect the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me. And Lord, I pray that uh, despite all of my faults, that you would feed your people. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. I'll give you a brief review. In Ephesians, Paul's in prison, and so he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus, and he wants them to have, in a nutshell, how to go about doing this thing we call church, how to go about living the Christian life. And so he takes six chapters, and in three of the chapters, the first three chapters, he explains to the Ephesians all of the blessings that they have in Christ. And so if you're a believer in Christ, Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 are all about the greatness of God and the great things that he's done for you. God, if you've put your faith in him, has done all sorts of awesome things. He has forgiven you of your sins. He has adopted you into his family. And he's made known to you the mystery of his will. And so Ephesians chapter 2 says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins and you were alienated, alienated from God. But God, being rich in mercy, with the great love that he has for you, has brought you to himself, into his family. He's wrapped his arm around you. He loves you with an unimaginable love. Paul actually prays for the church at Ephesus. He prays that their minds would be opened so that they could know the deep love that Christ has for them. He says that this love is inexpressible and it's impossible for you to understand how much Christ loves you. So he tells you all of that. Then he tells you this in Ephesians chapter 4. Because of all of those things, because of everything that Christ has done for you, all of those great things, now I want you to live your life this way as a result of that. And so we talked in Ephesians 4 how we should live. Ephesians chapter 5 told us how husbands should be treating their wives and how wives should be treating their husbands. And so last week we spent a lot of time talking about the husband's role in the family, to love his wife like Christ loved the church. And we said that that is a springboard for the wife to freely submit to the husband and to respect her husband. And then we said that it was the the husband's job, nevertheless, 
This is verse 33 of chapter 5. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. And so the reason that families are to operate this way are so that the lost world outside these doors can see the relationship that husbands and wives have, and they can understand the relationship between Christ and the church. You see, when you love your wife the way that you're supposed to, And wives, when you submit to your husbands the way that you're supposed to, that is a beautiful picture of Christ and the church and the way that things are supposed to go. You following me? So now, husbands and wives, you can relax just a little bit, just for a minute. This week, we're going to talk about children. Now, how should children respond within the home? So some of you parents are a little edgy now. You're like, all right, here we go. Batter up. And now it's, my, now it's finally, finally, it's the children's turn. It's the students' turn to, to get what we've been getting for the last five weeks. But you'll see at the end of the section that talks about your students, we're going to jump back and we're going to talk about fathers and mothers. Because in the same way that the wife should be free to submit to her husband, children also are the same way. Parents should operate in such a way that their children are safe obeying them and submitting to their leadership. So here we go. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Verse chapter 6, verse 1. Children. It would be safe here for us to go ahead and, and establish some, some ages in what Paul's talking about with children. There's three different age groups that the Bible generally speaking refers to. Here you have children. A child in biblical times is going to be somewhere from age 0, age birth, to 12 years old. You've got that 0 to 12 is when he's going to talk about children. Then you have another uh, time period where he talks about young men. Young men, our church is unbiblical in this, but that's okay. Young men, 12 to 30, okay? If you're a young man, if you're somewhere from 12 to 30, and then you're an older man if you're from 30 to death, okay? Now, I've just hit 30. This isn't sitting very well with me, uh, this, this old man status, but nonetheless, this is where it is. Just a little background. You have Jesus as a child from 0 to 12. What happens around age 12? If you remember, Jesus sits down at the temple and he begins to listen and he begins to learn. And that's the time where Jesus' parents leave him behind. They go on a three-day journey and they forget Jesus is even there. Children, that speaks of the volumes to how great Christ was as a child. That your parents could go three days and you're normally so obedient that it's normal for them not even to know that you're there. Anyways... Then, so his parents leave him at the temple, and then what happens to Jesus around age 30? Age 30 is when he's ushered into adulthood. He gets baptized by John the Baptist, and his ministry officially begins. And so the Jews kind of broke down from 0 to 12, from 12 to 30, and then from 30 to uh, death, so to speak. Now, this 30 thing is, is really rocking my world because as I was reading some of these, I've, I've, I looked back at a couple books and as to what people say, what starts happening at 30, and it's scaring me to death. Uh, I, don't, I don't like where this train is going, but it's, it's somewhat unstoppable. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, don't think that just because you're over the age of 12, you're off the hook. 
Uh, there's an interesting thing that we do in America that's different from a lot of other nations. Uh, if you were a Jew right around 12, 13, you're, you're starting to be of marriable age. You know, your parents are looking to, to push you on into marriage. If you look at the ages of Mary and Joseph, Mary and Joseph were remarkably young to give birth to our Savior. And so what comes with that is that in their time, 12, 13, 14-year-olds are incredibly responsible. Okay? That's, you're responsible enough to be joined to your spouse for life. That's how responsible some of these, these younger ones were. And so... I would say that a good way to apply this in our culture is that when, when they would get married in the Jewish culture, they wouldn't just leave and go away. What would happen is that the Jewish father would allow the boy to add on to the father's house. And then when they got married, they kind of lived on in addition to the parent's family. So they weren't, they weren't cast off. They weren't on their own per se. They were responsible enough to be married, to raise children, but they weren't quite ready to be out in the world yet. And so I think that if you are still living under your parents' roof, you fall under this category of, of, of children. And children isn't a demeaning word. Uh, we don't think less of you because of that designator. That's just what Scripture is using. And so when does a child become an adult in our society? That's a good question, right? When, do you, when are you officially a man or a woman? When are you officially out from underneath of your parents? And I think that if you're, a, if you're a boy, if you're growing into adulthood, I think when you're officially on your own, I think when your parents aren't supporting you, then you're going to get the title of on your own. Now, you may be on your own in a, in a dorm or somewhere, and you're not exactly there yet. You're, you're working that direction. You're being phased out with this whole college thing. But as soon as the purse strings for mom and dad are cut then I think that you're safe to say that you're on your own. And this isn't this first part isn't going to be quite as stressful to you. You're still going to, in the next verse, you're still going to honor your mother and father, but you're not going to be under that tight-knit obedience. So cut the purse strings, you're on your own, right? Parents, amen? So some of you guys are like, man, i got a 40-year-old that still, this verse still speaks to him. Uh, good luck is my advice. Good luck. Here we go. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So children... If you're reading this and you're wondering, okay, how much do I obey my parents? Good question. If you were to go over to Colossians, we're not going to turn there for the sake of time. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. So if you're a child, you are to be obedient to your parents in all things in the Lord. So, Children, as long as your parents aren't telling you something that is unbiblical, you are to obey them. And some of you are thinking, you don't know my parents. If you knew my parents, you wouldn't say to obey them because they are tough. And if you said, you don't know my parents, I would say, then you don't know this book. Because God tells you, as a child, obey your parents in all things. That's what you're supposed to do. Now, let me tell you a little bit of something. Parents, you should be operating in such a way that you are a safe person to obey. We're going to talk about that later with fathers not frustrating your children. But in this, children obey your parents. Children, there's something that you need to, to know. If you, were to, if you were the average 18-year-old frustrated male, you would say this. I'm sick of everybody telling me what to do. I'm joining the Marine Corps. 
and everybody around you would laugh at you because they know what you're getting into. And then you would go into the Marine Corps where you would learn some principles. If you had ever joined any branch of the service, you learn this. When you start out low in the ranks, you have no responsibility, much like a young child has no responsibility. You're expected one thing as a private in the army. That's do what you're told. Okay? You just show up wearing the right thing at the right time, and you do what you're told. And if you learn this concept to show up at the right place, wearing the right thing at the right time, and do what you're told, you will succeed, and it's possible to be a general and only have shown up at the right place with the right time, wearing the right thing, and doing what you're told. I promise you. So you, as a child, obey your parents in all things. They don't expect you to to do all sorts of grand things. Your parents realize that you don't have a huge skill set yet. They just want you to do this. They want you to do what they ask you to do. Now, there's a principle in the military that... When you don't have any responsibility and you just do what you're told, you're not held accountable for the results. And so it would be possible for a young sailor, just graduated from boot camp, to be stationed on an aircraft carrier. And he could be with his, his next in-line supervisor. And so you could have a guy who enlisted at 18, he has a supervisor who may be 19, and he outranks him by one rank. If the guy who's an E1 is told by the E2, pull that plug. If the new guy pulls the plug and the aircraft carrier sinks to the bottom of the ocean, the guy who pulled the the plug is not responsible for anything because he did what he was told. In the military, it is possible to, to lose billions of dollars and not be held responsible at all if you were simply doing what you were told. You following me? And so there is a freedom in being a young guy in the military because that's all you have to do. Show up and do what you're told and you're a huge success. Now, the principle here, parents, is that if you tell your kids to do something and things don't go the way that you want it to go, if you tell them to do A and A causes B, C, and D to happen and it's bad, you're responsible. Okay? You're also responsible that when you tell your parent, your, when you tell your children to do something, you're responsible for teaching them how to do it. You see, there's another principle in the military. You have to be trained on everything. You have to be licensed on everything. If you were driving to work and a tree fell across the road and that was the only way to get to work and you had a truck full of chainsaws in the back of your truck, if you hadn't been trained to use the chainsaw, you're not responsible for cutting the tree. You following me? So there's an idea that the training has to accompany things that you've told them to do. And so there's a principle here for us parents. You want to tell your child to do something, you're responsible for teaching them how to do it. You want to tell them not to do something, you're responsible for showing them why they shouldn't do it. All right? So children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Parents, you're to do a, a good job teaching your your uh, your children, why they should or why they shouldn't be doing certain things. You say, okay, that's simple. Now listen to this. Children, what would the consequences be for not obeying your parents, biblically speaking? Right? You're given this command. It says, children, obey your parents. The second commandment, this is verse 2, is honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And so you're promised that if you honor your mother and father, verse 3, that it will be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So, children, obey your parents. 
Obedience has everything to do with action. Obedience is strictly an action word. The, the commandment here that's given, honor your mother and father, this is the fifth commandment. I told you guys before, you've got ten commandments given by Moses. The first four commandments that Moses gives, or that God gives to Moses, deal with your relationship with God. So they're, they're vertical, so to speak. The first commandment that you're given that deals with how you relate to the rest of the world is this. What's the first thing that God wants you to know about how you should relate to others? And it's this. Honor your father and mother. So, honor your father and mother. Honor has everything to do with attitude. You can obey in the military, and you can be begrudging, and you can, you, can, you can rise all the way to the top ranks. But as a Christian, your job, children, students, is to obey your parents and to honor them. So it's not just an action that you do, it's an attitude that you do it with. So it's possible for you to obey your parents and have the wrong heart and be completely wrong in all of this. And so one of the things that, that we try to do to our children is that it's not, just, it's not just good of you if you obey. You've got to obey right away, all the way, with a joyful heart. And so if you haven't done what we told you to do with those three things, then you haven't really done a good job at what we asked you to do, no matter what the results are. So honor your father and mother. Now, what happens, biblically speaking, if you don't honor your mother and father? Is this a bad thing? Is this just kind of a mm, not-so-bad thing? If you look over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, you guys go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm going to read another verse to you along the way. So 2 Timothy chapter 3. While you're on your way to Deuteronomy, I'm going to read a verse in Proverbs. Solomon says, My son, observe the commandment of your father, and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment, the commandment of your parents, is a lamp, and the teaching is a light, and reproofs. For discipline are the way of life. And so Solomon understands that a parent's commandments, a parent's instructions are light and life to a child. And he says that children, if you want to be wise, you will observe the things that your parents tell you. Now we're over in Timothy. And Timothy has this to say. And this may shock some of you guys. Timothy says in verse, chapter 3 verse 1. But realize this. That in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers. Listen to what's in the midst of this description. Disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Wow. You want to be listed with a stand-up group of people like this? Disobey your parents. You want to be labeled within a group of people who are unloving, who are brutal, treacherous, reckless? Disobey your parents. You see, and we're missing something in our culture that the Jewish people had in their culture. And that was... Respect for parents. 
If you'll look around, and I don't talk about government things very much, but look around at some of the things that government is doing. Just recently, this is within the last year, there's been a big stink about what kids can and can't eat in school. And there's been some schools over in Raleigh that have gotten in trouble. School teachers taking students' lunches that mom packed for the kid to eat. You want to go down a bad route as a society? Begin to devalue mom and dad in the home. As soon as you take away mom and dad being people of honor, as soon as you take away the honor that the kids are supposed to have for their parents, when you start telling them that your mom and dad don't know best, eat what we have for you instead of what mom packs for you, you're going down a bad route as a society. And so these are just a lot of things that you need to think about. Mom and dad, you need to carry yourselves so that you have, you can be treated gladly with honor. It should be a joy for your kids to honor you as mom and dad. So kids, students, you want to be rated with a bad group of people who Paul says avoid such men as these. Do this. Disobey your parents. It's a big deal. If you were in... Uh, if you were under the law, if you remember, the, the Israelites, they're in slavery in Egypt. God saves them from slavery in Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. And what does God give them? He gives them the tabernacle, and then he gives them the law. Listen to what the law says. And you don't have to turn there. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 18 says this. Now, I didn't ask you to turn there, but some of you men are going to highlight this in your Bibles. If any man... Has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or mother, and when they chastise him, he will not even listen to them. What's he supposed to do? Verse 19. Then his father and mother shall seize him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gateway of his hometown. They shall say to the elders of his city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Verse 21, then all the men of his city shall stone him to death. So you shall remove the evil from your midst and all Israel shall hear of it in fear. If you're a child in the nation of Israel and you don't obey your parents, if you are a stubborn and rebellious child, it is a capital offense. Your parents have the right to say, hey, son, how was your day at school? Good. Um, let's go for a walk. Let's uh. Let's go for a real, we're just going to be a minute. Let's go for a walk. Okay, Dad, what do I need to take with me? Oh, nothing. Where are we going, Dad? Oh, we're just going to walk around the city a few times. We're going to go see some sights. So if you were a wicked and rebellious son, Dad and Mom could seize you, take you to the city gate, and you would be stoned. That's how treacherous it is for a child not to obey his parents. As soon as that breakdown happens, as soon as the children are not obeying the parents anymore, you have society, you have a society that is going to collapse on itself. And if you don't believe me, look at all of these socialist and communist countries. What's the first thing that a socialist or communist country will try to do to you? Now, now I'm not at all getting involved in current affairs. I'm just looking back 100 years to the Soviet Union and those countries. What's the first thing they did? They pull the kids away from the parents. You take a child at birth and let the state raise the child. And they raise the child not to honor the mother and father, but to obey the state. And then what happens after 20, 30 years? The state 
collapses because you can't have a society that stands if that relationship between the sons and the daughters and the moms and the dads is not a tight-knit one. And so the first commandment that God gives his people to, to, to do amongst themselves is honor your mother and father. That's the most important thing that you can do to have a great society. So moving on, um, you've got another part. Uh, there's, a, there's another piece to this that obey your parents. Yes, if you're a child and you're living at home, obey your parents. That's, that's between the relationship of people living at home and their parents. Now, once you move out from the house, the purse strings are cut and you're on your own, there is still an element to it's wise if you obey your parents. You don't have that commandment so as much as an adult. However, you do have this commandment in Ephesians chapter 6 of honoring your father and mother. There is no age limit on this commandment of honoring your mother and father. So even though you as a parent, you as possibly a grandparent whose parents are still alive, you are still on the hook for the rest of your life for honoring your mother and father. There's a time in in Matthew, and for the sake of time, I'm just going to tell you. The Pharisees come to Jesus one time and they ask him a question. And they're trying to catch him, something having to do with angels and the afterlife. And Jesus says, guys, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. So at that point, they're like, okay. And in the midst of him chastising them, he tells them this. I'm going to go over to Matthew 15. The Pharisees had done something that was huge to Jesus. Matthew 15, verse 1. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said... So the Pharisees are trying to catch the disciples in something wrong. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Jesus answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Ooh. So the disciples aren't doing something small. And Jesus says, Well, you don't do something even bigger for the sake of your tradition. Verse 4, for God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or mother. And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. And so this is what had happened. These Pharisees had become Pharisees. And these Pharisees had given their life to a... You guys are familiar with the Pharisees. They're incredibly legalistic. There's this group of people who don't know the scriptures or the power of God, but they like to enforce the rules on everybody else. That's how you can spot a Pharisee. A Pharisee likes rules. And more than they like rules, they like enforcing rules. And more than that, they like enforcing rules on you who don't like the rules. So here we go. These Pharisees have parents, and their parents are presumably aged, and they need help. And so the Pharisees have have taken this command that says, honor your mother and father. And they've said, yes, honor your mother and father. But if you say you've given everything to God, you don't have to help your mother and father. Because what you would have to give your mother and father, now you can just tell them you've given it to God. So the idea is they have older parents who are wanting, they're needing something, and the Pharisees are trying to go through this loophole, and they're saying, oh, mom, sorry, I would help you out. I would fix your leaky roof, but everything I have I've given to God, so I'm not able to help you. Sorry, mom. The honor your mother and father doesn't stop when you get older. Listen, 
Your parents raised you from the time you were born until the time where you left the coop. At the end of their life, the Bible says that is your time to pay it back what they did for you. Okay? So maybe you're in a, you're, I don't want to say in a rut in life, but maybe you feel like you're in a rut where you're just really struggling taking care of your parents. I want to tell you, if you're exhausted taking care of your parents, good job. If you have relocated yourself to take care of your parents, if you have, if you have given up and you have sacrificed for the sake of your parents so that you could honor them at the end of their life, well done. Just because someone is aged doesn't mean that they don't have a place in our society. That is when we need to pay them back for things that they've done for us. One of the things that grieve me most of all, and uh, we're actually going to start a a ministry in our church to do something for this. We have a lot of shut-ins that I don't know. But it breaks my heart when you have somebody who is faithful to the church for 60, 70, 80 years. And then they get shut-in and they cannot come to the church anymore. Pretty soon, we're going to start sending them DVDs so that they can, they can see the kids' service. They can see the choir singing. They can stay up to date with preaching and things like that. So those are some of the things that we as a church are going to start doing to honor mothers and fathers who have been faithful for a long time. And so if you're in a place in life and you're trying to make life convenient for you and you're making easy decisions for mom and dad, um, maybe you're right. But give it some good thought. Ask yourself, am I honoring my mother and father when I make these decisions, or am I looking out for what's easiest for me? I think that if you pass up a raise in your job in order to take care of your parents, when you get to heaven, I think you'll be pleased to see God's face when you made a sacrifice for your parents. Because heaven knows they sacrificed for you when they were raising you. That's when a lot of you moms should be like, amen, that's right. You don't have any idea what I went through with that kid. And you need to hope that they pay it forward to you. Now, so we talked about that obedience deals with action. Honor deals with attitude. Now we're going on to verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this word, fathers... There's a place in the book of Hebrews where the scripture talks about the parents of Moses and the same word is used. And so there's a lot of guys that are a lot brighter than I am when it comes to original languages. And they say that this word fathers can also be translated parents. But it means more father because father, the father is the head of the house. And so here you have the word fathers, but it encompasses the whole mother father unit but recognizes that the father is the head of the family. So he says, fathers, and we're only going to deal with half of this verse today. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I'll just tell you and uh, make sure you hear what I'm saying and don't hear more or less than what I'm saying. Uh, before I came to, to Kashai, and I was, I was a youth pastor. I told you guys I was in youth and college ministry for a long time. And the direction that I thought God was going to take my family and I was to go to a, another church and, and serve as a family pastor. Now, you guys may not even have this on your, your radar screen, but there's larger churches out there that realize that, that youth ministry can be done wrong when you take the children away from the parents and you set the youth pastor up as the hero and you don't have mom and dad involved. That's a bad thing. Remember, any time that you're not honoring mom and dad as mom and dad, you're in a bad place. And so I kind of thought that we were going to transition into a place where we could work with families and we could, we could grow the whole family together as just opposed to students. 
And so uh, as I was finishing up, I'm, I'm a couple credits shy of finishing up a graduate degree in seminary. And so what I did my whole master's degree thesis on was this verse. And so I'm not going to bore you with it today. I'll, I'll get you with it next week. But, but in, order to, in order to finish the class that I had to take, I took Ephesians chapter 4, and there's Colossians 3.21, all talk about fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so all these guys around me were coming up with what I thought, all of these nerdy things to do their, their papers on. And I just picked this simple verse because I knew that if I... Moving into working with families couldn't answer the question, how do I raise my child in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? I didn't have a leg to stand on. And so I spent months researching this particular verse. And what we'll do next week is we'll take a walk through the book of Deuteronomy and you will be amazed how easy God made for you to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And you will, if you're a dad here, don't miss next week because it will be, it will be something you don't want to forget. Moms, you, if, if dad doesn't come to church, you need to get him in church because he should definitely hear this. You'll, you'll like it. But I want to spend the first part, uh, the last part of our time together now talking about fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Uh, and I've got eight quick ways that we as fathers embitter or or provoke our children to anger, and sometimes we don't even realize it. If you're worried about provoking your child to anger, and you wonder if you do this, before I even list any of these, the best thing for you to do is to ask. You would be amazed how open this generation of students is to telling you things. Having said that, if you're not a safe person for them to tell something to, don't expect to get anything out of them. If your child, if you ask your child a question and you don't get an answer, it may be because you bit their head off last time that you went to them looking for truth. And they may be treating your questions as rhetorical questions. You guys familiar with rhetorical questions? Let me tell you something about them. You know how I learned about rhetorical questions? My wife. The first time my wife looked at me and said, do I look stupid to you? And I thought, is, is this young lady a seeker of the truth? Or is she, is she asking me a question that she doesn't really want an answer to? And in my infinite wisdom as a young man, I said, she's not looking for truth right now because we're disagreeing and she thinks I'm stupid and I don't think, uh, I don't think she's on the right track either. And so you as a parent, you need to think long and hard about the questions that you ask your kids and ask yourself, if my child tells me the truth, am I going to be offended? If I say, hey, son, do you think I'm a good dad? Are you going to be mad if they tell you no? If you're, if you're going to blow off the chain, if you get a no, don't ask. Why don't you start asking easy questions? That if you get a real answer, you won't be offended. Because the truth is that if we were to take an honest assessment of ourselves, we wouldn't always get the best report from our kids. So you as parents need to be honorable people. And if you don't want to provoke your children to anger, and if you're wondering if you're provoking your children to anger, you can ask them. But here are some things that do provoke them to anger. Number one, and these are pretty quick, excessive discipline. We don't throw people in jail for life. For littering as a society. The punishment fits the crime, right? 
You as a parent will embitter your children if the punishment doesn't fit the crime. You want to ground them for life? They have better done something huge. When you discipline, you always need to keep the betterment of your child in mind. So when you dis- and this don't if you're a grandparent, don't tune out here. We're going to get to some things that grandparents can do. But you need to keep their, benef- their best interest in mind. Your punishment should be to help them, not just to punish them. So I'm all about spare the rod, spoil the child. But they don't always need the rod. You following me? Another one, inconsistent. This is probably one of the toughest ones in our culture. You as a parent, you want to you embitter your child? Be inconsistent. You want to frustrate your child? You want to push them to anger? Be lazy. Sit in your recliner and bark out orders and see if you don't make your children real angry real quick. Number three, unkindness. You know that the first fruit of the Spirit is love. You want to raise children in the fear and admonition of the Lord? You discipline them with the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And that first fruit of the Spirit is love. Anything that you do to your child ought to be out of love, even if it's disciplining them. I've got unkindness. You know that the golden rule applies to your relationship with your children also? You should be doing unto your children as you want them to do unto you. If you don't, you will embitter them. Here's another one. This is, this is still under number three. Discouraging. Don't be that parent who's always discouraging, dragging them down. Even though your children are young, even though your grandchildren are young, they're not good at everything yet. But they are good at some things, and you need to focus on the things that they are good at so that you don't embitter them. So don't camp out on everything that they need to get better, because heavens knows Jesus could camp out on a lot of things in our life that we need to get better also. Sarcasm. We say sarcastic things to our children because we hear sarcastic things on TV all the time. And sarcasm within the husband-wife relationship is incredibly dangerous. Remember, husbands, you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, you're to submit to your husbands. When you're doing those things, if you're being sarcastic with one another, you are not able to to genuinely love her if she's sarcastic, and she's not able to readily submit to you if you're, sar- if you're sarcastic to her also. Sarcasm is killing marriages. Because even though you may have meant it in a sarcastic way, she didn't take it that way. And because you guys know the art of joke telling, the funniest jokes are true. So you may have said it in a joking way, she took it in a real way, and vice versa. So be careful. Same thing with your kids. I'm telling you, you're going to mess up with too much sarcasm. Just something for you to think about. Physical and verbal abuse for your children. This is still under the banner of being unkind to them. We say things sometimes as Christians to our children that we wouldn't say to anybody else. If it's not something that you would say to your child around a group of your friends, don't say it at all. Okay? Don't be mean to your children just because they're your children. The children are a blessing, and you're to treat them that way. So treat them as they're not equals, but treat them the way that you want it to be treated. Don't abuse them verbally or physically. You want to, you want to make a child embittered towards you? This is number four, favoritism. We've got an issue with favoritism that we're still reaping the curses of now. 
you've got the whole idea of Jacob and Esau. You remember Isaac has two sons, one Jacob, one Esau. He loved Jacob more than he loved Esau. You've got a whole world of problems in the Middle East because of Jacob and Esau. Uh, we talk more about that later. Number five, overindulgence. Don't think that you can let your kids do whatever they want and they're just going to turn out okay. You want your kids to love you and not be embittered towards you? Set boundaries. Listen to this. The Minnesota, let me make sure I say it right. The Minnesota Crime Commission says this. This is, this is nothing godly. This is nothing. This is the Minnesota Crime Commission, okay? Thank detectives. Thank all sorts of those TV programs. This is what they say. Every baby starts life as a little savage. He's completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, his uncle's watch, or whatever. Some of you guys may be a little upset at first, but you think about it and you're like, wait a minute. That child does wake up the whole house when he's hungry in the middle of the night. He is selfish. Deny him these, and he seethes with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. He's dirty. He has no morals, no knowledge, no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, but all children, are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to their impulsive actions to satisfy each want, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, and a killer. That's from the Minnesota Crime Commission. They say that if you give a child whatever he wants all the time, he will grow up to be a selfish little delinquent who's ultimately going to be a thief and a murderer. You want somebody to love you? You want to not embitter your children? Set boundaries. I'm, going to, I'm not going to get to the rest of them. We'll talk about them next week. But this is a good time for me to close with a quick story. Quick story. We went to this church, the first church that I ever served at. And there were all delinquent kids there. All of these kids in the youth ministry, we bust in from everywhere. And so we went to, it was a rural town, and we went to all of the trailer parks around the church, and we bust in these kids. Now, these kids were hungry for the gospel. They were hungry to know that somebody loved them. But there was a time when I was teaching Sunday school, and now remember, I wasn't six months out of the army at this time. And so I had just gotten out of the army, and these kids were hitting each other, and they were saying, pass it down. And so I'm teaching, and there's a kid to my right. He hits another kid and says, pass it down, pass it down, pass it down, pass it down. My wife is sitting on this side. And there was a little boy sitting next to my wife. And the boy beside him hit him and said, pass it down. And he looked at my wife, and I looked at him. And I said, kid, if you touch my wife, I'll break your neck. (laughs) And he looked at me like, And I said, if you don't believe me, try me. And do you know what happened with that kid? He was about 11 years old then. And he was tough as nails at 11. Now, he's about 23 years old. Because a lot of time has passed by since then. And the boy's on his way to jail. But do you know that he still talks to me? Do you know that I was on Facebook the other day checking a few things? And he sent me a message on Facebook telling me that he missed me. Parents, your kids need boundaries. You don't threaten them with breaking their neck every time. But that's what the situation needed in this instance. That boy didn't have any boundaries in his home life. And he came to my house at least twice a week. And that kid loved me and my family. 
because we set up boundaries for him. And he knew what he could get away with and what he couldn't get away with. I would wrestle that kid in the front yard until we were exhausted. But he knew what to expect when he came to my house. Grandparents, don't think you're doing any favors by spoiling all those grandchildren. Even though that you have the resources and the means to spoil them, and it's okay to a certain extent, but how about be a grandmother or grandfather of honor? So that the kids look up to you because you're honorable, not just because you have the resources to spoil them with material things. It'll go a lot farther if you're an honorable person. And it'll mean a lot more. That boy still loves my family to death. And there's nothing I wouldn't do for him. That same boy, there was a time where he thought that his dad was going to kill him. He was, his dad had died. And then his mom married, quickly married his stepdad, and the boy was scared. He didn't have anywhere to go, and he called me. And he said, Bobby, I need you to come get me right now because my dad is going to kill me. And so I'm his youth pastor, and I had never had that class before. And so I grabbed a gun, and I got in the car, and I said, Jeremy, he's not killing you on my watch. And I went to his house. He liked us, and he loves us. Because we were honorable people in his life and he knew what to expect from us. We didn't embitter him. We didn't talk down to him because he wasn't like us. But we showed him unconditional love. Parents, we need to be people. We need to be parents whose children are willing and ready to obey us because of our character. Children, students, you need to readily obey your parents. Not always because they're stand-up people, but because God tells you to. And he says, if you want to live out a a Christ-centered life as a young person, this is what you do. Obey your parents. It's not always easy. I know that there's going to be times where my kids don't always want to obey me. But that's what God's told them to do. Within the husband and wife relationship, the husband doesn't always want To love the wife like Christ loved the church. But that's what God tells him to do. The wife doesn't always want to submit. But that's what God tells her to do. When we live our life by this book, things go better. Maybe you've never experienced that sort of family relationship. Maybe today's the day that dad calls a family meeting and says, hey, we've messed up for a long time. This is how we need to start doing things. Maybe mom needs to have a closed door meeting with dad and say, I want to I want to follow the man who wants to order his family like this. Maybe some of you students over lunch need to have a conversation with mom or dad just to let them know that you want to follow Christ and you want to obey them, but your parents may frustrate you to no end. Maybe today is the day that we as Christians start centering our families on a biblical model instead of the way that the world does it. Because this model works. The world's model is crumbling. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And as we come to our time of invitation, if, uh, if you want to pray about anything, if you want me to walk beside you as a man and leading your family in a, in a biblical way, you come talk to me. There's other godly men in this church who would love to walk beside you also leading your family. And uh, we just had our, our new members meeting. If any of you... Uh, would, are interested in joining our church in fellowship and you want to unite with us uh, through church membership uh, during the time of invitation, you're welcome to do that also. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your many blessings. Thank you for, thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. 
Thank you that you sent us your spirit so that we can walk in obedience to you. Lord, I pray that we would be a church who actively desires to lead our family the way that you've modeled. Lord, I pray that the men in the sanctuary would be men of God who love their wives like Christ loved the church. I pray that they would be raising their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And God, I pray that we would on a daily basis not be embittering our children against us. Lord, I pray for the women here that they would be women who can gladly submit to their husbands because their husbands love them so much. And God, I pray that these women would also be able to respect their husbands. God, I pray for the students here and the children that they would be able to obey their parents because God told them to and because they see something in their parents that they want also. God, please help us to be a church that has families organized in the way that you would have them organized. Lord, let us wrap our lives around your word and around your commandments. And Lord, let us be a light into a dark place. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand. Step down into darkness, open my eyes, let me see beauty that made this heart adore you, hope of a life spent with you. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. King of all days, oh, so highly exalted, Glorious in heaven above Humbly you came to the earth you created All for love's sake became poor Here I am to worship Here I am to bow down Here I am to say that you're my God you're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. The light of the world turned down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you, hope of a life spent with you. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. 
You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. King of all days, so so highly exalted, glorious in heaven above. Humbly you came to the earth you created, all for love's sake became poor. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. King of all days, also highly exalted, glorious in heaven above. Humbly you came to the earth you created, all for love's sake became poor. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. King of all days, oh so highly exalted, glorious in heaven above. 
Altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. Thank you. 